Welcome to 050. I'm your host, Bruce Bradley, founder of recycling company First Mile. This is our Green Impact podcast where we meet guests creating solutions for a zero carbon world. The use of compostable plastic packaging exploded after the problem of plastic pollution hit our screens with Blue Planet 2. Compostables are now widespread and their use is forecast to grow 20% per year for the next decade. Compostables are, of course, certified to compost, but do they actually compost at home or in our current industrial composting infrastructure? Are compostables the perfect substitute for plastics or are things not quite this simple? To help answer these questions, this week's guest on 050 is Danielle Perkis, Research Fellow in Material Circular Economies at UCL and manages the Big Compost Experiment. The Big Compost Experiment examines the viability of compostable plastics and its work includes a community of over 1,500 households who are testing if compostable products actually decompose in home composting systems. Danielle, welcome. Very big warm welcome to 050. Hi, Bruce. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on the show. So we're going to get straight in there. What are you trying to solve? What's the big environmental problem that we have out there? And how are you helping with your work at UCL? Uh, well, the, the group that I'm part of, the Plastic Waste Innovation Hub at UCL, it's a cross-disciplinary group looking at the issues around material circular economies. Um, and when we started the project around sort of two years ago, we noticed um, that we're getting a lot of fee feedback from industry and from just citizens generally, that they were noticing an increase in the amount of compostable plastics that they were having to deal with, both um, in, in a business sense, but also at home. And we realised, just sort of anecdotally at the time, that people were finding that these things were not behaving as, as they were sort of being promised on the labels or or by the shops that were selling these, these products and pieces of packaging. So we decided to, to formulate this um, citizen science study called the Big Compost Experiment, which really is um, using principles of citizen science to gather data that you just can't normally access from the real world. Um, and I think I'll, I'll talk a little bit about this um, in a bit more detail, but in principle, if you, if you can actually gather data about how things really perform at home in gardens and composters and all those amazing varieties of environments up and down the country, we can actually start to see whether or not these materials really do perform as, as they're sort of promised and, and as they're shown to behave in lab conditions. So it's really that side of the study which is so valuable and what we're hoping will help to actually kind of curb and, and regulate the use of these materials in the future so that they do behave how we want them to, how we need them to, and to make sure they don't cause any unwanted consequences. So it, it's sort of basically, it says compostable or home compostable, then you're figuring out if that actually can happen in home, in the average home composting uh, unit. And these 1,500 um, homes that, that are part of the big compost experiment, have they been selected for any particular criteria or a complete random selection with a random set of home composters? Well, this is, again, this is the joy of um, citizen science that everyone is self-selecting. So anyone who comes and visits our website is invited to take part and share the information that they, they kind of gather and find out in their own compost bin. So it's really, really about citizens turning their own gardens and their own composters into their own labs. 
and sharing with us the, the data that comes out of that. So from, uh, I think we're around two years now into the study and we've had an amazing variety of different composting processes. And I have the, the ongoing delight of looking at my, um, uh, all the images that come through the website. I get a little peek and a little insight into everyone's gardens and, and all their kind of waste habits, which is really quite phenomenal and quite impressive. I imagine now that we're getting towards sort of October time, uh, we might see some more pumpkins and things like that coming through the compost bins because of Halloween. And yeah, it's really it's a really funny um, perspective on people's lives. Brilliant. What's your favourite sort of compost setup then? Have we got a sort of Wallace and Gromit out there who've made a sort of amazing uh, home system? Oh my gosh, I've seen, I think I've probably haven't seen it all, but it feels like I have. Um, that there are people who've just been so innovative of making composting units out of old bits of stuff so i've seen bits of old like car or bits of old house material or building material being reused and and housing all this this sort of lovely composting waste people using things like their old fireplaces as sort of front gates so they look quite regal and quite you know quite smart yeah all sorts and what's the secret to composting success if you sort of had the one thing that you have to get right this is quite an interesting question because there are so many variables to how a compost actually works but also people have different opinions about what what a good type of composting is and what kind of the, uh, the end result would be and what they would like it to be uh, so it's really personal and I, I think overall the, the sort of types of processes that I've seen that seem to compost quickly they're processes where people tend their compost heaps regularly so they might be turning their heaps maybe once a month they'll give it a bit of a turn so they get lots of oxygen in there and, and helps the bacteria to break down all that lovely food waste or they might be doing things like actually sort of modulating the kinds of stuff that they throw in there so there's quite an important part to composting which is the ratio of nitrogen and carbon that you have in the mix and if you have too much of one it, it sort of sets the, the system out of balance and it means that those processes and the bacteria involved just don't perform very quickly. So yeah, balance is quite important in terms of how much sort of woody, cardboardy, brown material you put in there versus the, the garden waste clippings. I guess another, another side to this is sort of involved, it's also the temperature, which comes back to also the mix and the oxygenation. But if you have a very hot composter and there's some very pro Jedi composters out there that managed to sort of create temperatures I've never seen before. But they managed to create temperatures so hot that things really break down in an incredibly quick time frame. So we've had people saying they compost in about three months in the UK, which is quite phenomenal. Um, so it's very, it's very varied. And it sort of gets us back to the science then, because one of the things you said there, which is interesting, is that the output, it depends what you're trying to do, try to, to, to obtain in terms of the output. And is there a definition of composting what is composting i mean it's obviously been around for millennia um it's a natural process but you're probably going to tell me the romans were brilliant at composting i don't know and is there a, is there a definition of it and linked to that question if i get a piece of packaging and it says it is compostable how's that how's that tested because it feels to me a little bit like you know you buy a new car and it says it can do a thousand miles on a tank of fuel but then turns out it can only do 700 so composting has been around for, for forever, for ages. And, and I suppose when we talk about composting, we're talking about where people have started meddling with the collecting of waste and, and the way in which it breaks down. So that, there are really ancient 
practices that have the evidence of ancient practices including in the Roman world of of dealing with organic waste and I suppose over time as we've kind of understood more about the science and people have kind of started to develop ways to harness some of those processes so either developing compost units or processes or certain methods I suppose they've all really tried to optimize that process to make it either easier to do where you live or to make it faster so that you can make more valuable stuff at the end of the day and I think those kinds of questions are really relevant now when we're talking about how something is tested in a lab and certified to be compostable so those lab testing criteria which there are several different schemes and different um, organizations that can test your products for you around the world. And generally, um, in when we're sort of talking in Europe, they use a standard called the EN13432, very catchy name, standard <laughs> for compostability. Yeah. And what that says essentially in, in the lab is that we'll test a piece of your packaging under these specific conditions and we'll test it for a specific time frame. And if it does what we would like it to do, which is break down so it's small, like a small broken down decomposed piece of um, packaging, then it will get this stamp of compostability on it. Um, the problem is, is, as I sort of mentioned before, is that because in the real world, when you're talking about home composting, it's such a varied practice. Actually, it's very difficult to recreate those scenarios in the lab. And what we're finding at the moment, the kind of current findings from this experiment is that, in fact, the, the lab certification and the standards will probably need to be revised in order to actually ensure that materials will perform and break down under a variety of composting conditions, not just the hottest versions of those. They will need to be able to perform to much more difficult, harsher, colder, static environments. Um, and only then could we really say, I think, as people in industry could really say that their materials could be compostable. I'm going to find out le probably next spring when I get to the bottom of my compost heap, but you can spoil my surprise for me. I've put some uh, compostable plastic foam in there. Um, will I expect that to have disappeared or will it be in smaller pieces or um, should I have chopped it up before I put it in there? Well, I think if you haven't chopped it up, you probably weren't told to chop it up, and that's fair enough. So if you popped <laughs> it in there and you were told that it would break down um, in your home compost, then yeah, I, w I wouldn't be surprised, though, given, given what we're sort of seeing coming through the study uh, through the website, is that a lot of people, a variety of composters and a variety of processes are all having problems with breaking down even sort of thin films. Right. So at the moment, it doesn't seem like the product or the material is any better or worse it just seems that there's general problems for most materials and most thicknesses over a range of conditions it sort of tells us that we ne would need to do further testing on this to really kind of understand why so i think we know we have an observation through the, the current study that we can see that there's a trend that's a problem but i think we need to drill into the detail a bit more now and understand really why why it's not breaking down and has there been a sort of uh, a, a, an item that's a particular success uh, i know there's been a lot of debate on the website about tea bags have they broken down well is that is that the sort of uh, unsung hero of uh, compostable items um we've i think we've got a yeah, range still we need to get some more but we've got a range of information about tea bags at the moment and there's a slightly difficult side to this where actually it's not 
easy to find out what's the tea bag, what is the tea bag made out of. Um, and this comes back to other questions around the certification and the responsibility for manufacturers to actually declare what their materials are. And so I think a lot of our uh, citizen scientists are actually finding that they think that they're putting in a biodegradable tea bag made from a biodegradable material, but, but it's not clear from the websites and from some of the tea manufacturers actually what's going into those products. So it, it indicates as another area, another problem with the system of, of compostable plastic use that needs to be uh, researched and addressed. But yeah, we're, we're um, currently hoping, hoping to recruit more tea bag tea users, trying to get more information on this. So the more data we can get, hopefully we'll get some more useful results. And is there, if you take something like a, a tea bag, and if you take the high-end tea bag where you've got a paper label, a piece of cotton string, I guess, and then the tea bag, if that has a compostable sticker on it, is there a standard that says that everything needs to be compostable? Because it could, in theory, have a compostable label, compostable string, but then a plastic mesh tea bag. Or does the whole, is there a standard saying the whole thing has to be compostable if you put the home compost or compostable sticker on it? Or is it sort of still not certain? Yeah, there are, there are different rules that apply to things that are defined under government rules as, as packaging or other. And um, so the, the intriguing thing about multi-material products, so tea bags, quite a good example. Uh, what do you buy from the shop? You buy possibly a box or a bag, which might have a film or a wrap over the top of it which might then contain more tea bags inside. And those tea bags might have string and card and, and staples on them. So in fact, it's usually when you're talking about the packaging, the packaging is the whole lot, the whole kind of grouping, but it's not communicated very clearly to uh, citizens through the way that the labeling system works at the moment. It's not mandatory to make that specific and clear so people do often get confused about when there's claims of biodegradability what does it refer to does it refer to the plastic film on the box or does it refer to the the plastics in the tea bag in the tea bag material so that that's something that we're definitely seeing as an area that needs to be improved on um, and regulated better so that people know how to dispose of things properly it's also i imagine from your point of view from sort of a waste processing point of view that level of communication is going to help process that waste after you've thrown it away. So how does a waste processor know that that is a material that's valuable, that they can repurpose, reuse or process in a, in a system? So there, there generally needs to be a, an overhaul and an improvement of these communication systems about what materials are and where they should be disposed of. And that's, that sort of brings us very nicely. It's almost as if we rehearsed this to the sort of industrial side of things. But before I move on, because I know there'll be lots of householders sitting at home scratching their heads wondering why their compostables aren't breaking down in their compost bin, what's the difference and is there a difference between biodegradable and compostable? Are they, are they the same thing? And what, what's the terminology we should be using? I generally would say that people, industries, manufacturers if they're interested in uh, using materials that can break down in a composting system because it's controlled and they can and they know they they know the benchmarks that they're aiming at they know how the system will work in terms of waste collection then compostability is is the best word because it basically attaches a process to the material 
And biodegradable doesn't really mean anything. There's no, there's no location attached to that term. There's no particular process attached to that term. It's so generic as so as not to be that useful. Whereas compostable actually attaches your product or your item to a particular process, which can be defined, can be certified, can be standardized, can be checked. And therefore it can be rigorously controlled and carried out. Whereas biodegradability, I just think is too generic and too random and therefore very misleading in terms of well, how will this behave in any given environment. And is that and is bioplastics another term or is that part of biodegradable? This is where the terminology starts to become quite confusing for people. Um, so bioplastics is sort of an umbrella term that often gets used and it can be used to mean either plastics that have come from bio-based sources. So it could be organic sources like crop waste, uh, fruit pulp waste, things like that. Um, essentially what that means is that the carbon that comes from that, that raw source has been processed to become the polymer in the plastic. That doesn't necessarily mean that a plastic made from organic sources can actually compost. So compostability is another engineered function and those things are isolated and separate. See, so someone could in fact make a traditional plastic compostable, <laughs> um, or someone could make a bio-based, organic-based plastic compostable or non-compostable. So those things have to be treated as sort of separate or skills um, of the material that you're using. That is a very clear and good definition. So industrial composting, can I put my compostable packaging into my food waste bin at home that the council come and take away. So I put my anything that's sort of cooked into the food waste bin gets collected, taken away by the council and goes off to an industrial process. Do these processes accept compostables at the moment? Uh, really good question. So all of this information about the state of industrial composting and, and whether they do or don't actually take and process compostables it's very live at the moment so what we're finding through our research currently is that actually the majority of industrial processes and that could consist of either uh, a process called in-vessel composting or it might be a process called anaerobic digestion and they're slightly different from each other again so there's a bit of complexity there generally if you're throwing something in a council food waste collection bin it's going to go to one of either of those processes but what we're finding at the moment is that neither of those processes were ever designed in the first place to receive compostable plastics, to, to actually identify compostable plastics and, and not confuse them with other contamination that they have to remove from the uh, organic waste. Um, and also the systems that then this material, the organic waste goes into, they can't take types of um, compostable packaging. Often those formats are things like caddy liners, um, they, ha they happen to sort of stretch and melt in the system. They can cause problems and actually cause the machinery to malfunction. Um, and that's bad news for uh, anyone who runs a composter or an anaerobic digester because it means that they have to take time to fix it. And that means that their business is going to struggle to, to keep going. So, no, I'd say at the moment, you, the best thing to do if you get compostable plastics is put it in general waste, which sounds really terrible and, and, and sort of counterintuitive to the product that you've bought. But unfortunately, these materials just aren't being processed as, as people say they are through those systems. And actually, they can cause a problem if more and more of it gets through through those systems at the moment. So 
yeah, really now we're at this sort of very kind of almost an emergency to try and re re revisit these systems, try and um, carry out research and to actually improve those systems so that can they take those materials? Should they be taking those materials? And if they can take them, how does it affect the compost that comes out of there? So they're very valuable questions that we need to work through at the moment. So, I mean, this is all amazingly fantastic and there's a huge amount of confusion around compostables and you're making it very clear for the listeners. So thank you very much. Stepping forwards now to 10, 20 years in the future and you had your compostables magic wand, what would the system look like? And is there a, should we just all go back to sort of petro-based plastics and focus on recycling them? Or is there a role for compostables if we look at it in terms of the entire system? Because it seems to me like we've, we're sort of introducing compostables, but then the food waste system isn't able to cope with it either at home or from an industrial perspective. And can we tweak both sides of those? And and if we can, what, what was your sort of utopia for compostable plastics in particular look like? I think compostables is a really interesting area because it sort of brings up an, an interface between lots of other environmental issues. So um, when we're talking about why compostables should be used, I think a good question to really think about is, well, what what other benefits does it provide? And one one area where compostable plastic packaging makes a lot of sense would be to actually help capture food waste. Um, and in the UK at the moment, uh, we have a sort of an ongoing problem um, where about a third of our greenhouse gas emissions at the moment are coming from landfill and from the breakdown of organic matter in landfill sites. So one really useful way of, of minimising greenhouse gas emissions and trying to capture food waste is to actually use compostable plastics on hard to recycle or contaminated items. Um, so it's thinking things like things that contain food takeaway packaging and, and things like that. Um, also things like the caddy liners potentially might have a role to increase food waste capture and make it easier for people to, to harvest food waste and turn it into compost. So that's a sort of additional um, improvement. But by doing that, by actually capturing food waste and getting more food waste through these organic waste processing systems, we could actually start to address some of the other issues around soil health in the UK. So there's a, there's a problem. We know that um, soil fertility is declining and that's the sort of knock-on impact of really harsh agricultural practices that we've carried out over the last 100 years. And we need to actually combat soil infertility by Im improving soil health and this can be done through the application of really good quality compost onto the soil. Um, this also has a sort of another kind of knock-on impact that if you improve soil health you actually improve the ability of soil to sequester or to capture carbon from the air through all these magical amazing processes that bacteria are involved with. So really it's a sort of it's a win-win thing if we can actually get food waste into those systems um, and out of the landfill sites and into compost, which is put onto the soil to, to maintain um, better soil health. So I think that um, compostable plastics could have a role in that, in those, in those applications. But there's so much that we need to do in terms of a whole systems overhaul to ensure that that actually works without causing unintended consequences or harm. And one, yeah, I mean, that sounds very good because one of the major problems we have as an industry is there's about half a million tons of plastic film. And it's an amazing material because it's a 
comes in contact with food. It's a barrier layer. It keeps out the oxygen, keeps in the liquids. Absolutely fantastic. Difficult to recycle, lots of different polymers, and always usually heavily contaminated with food, therefore inefficient and expensive from an economic and carbon perspective to recycle. If we could switch all that overnight to compostable film, wouldn't it be amazing that that just all goes into the um, compostable infrastructure, whether it's at home, sounds like the polymers need some tweaking, or industrial, and then we capture that embedded carbon in the compostable film, but also that food waste. So is it, it does feel like a nice... A very nice solution and and really you know good circular economy of getting the nutrients back into the land yeah and in, in theory it does sound fantastic um, but we know that in practice that there can be lots of sort of complicated parts to that process actually working and i think one area that is particularly important and um, actually at the moment is quite under researched is in fact about the impact of the residues of those uh, materials on soil health and organism health. So really we should probably be starting, perhaps counterintuitively, we should start at the end and then work back from there. So is it a good idea to put these things in those formats into the soil and will it actually be useful and valuable and will it actually help with soil health or will it be detrimental to that? And I think that's a really fundamental question we need to sort of put up the priority level i i love that thinking so effectively you have your piece of packaging that says this is fortified with xyz because it's going to go to a field that's feeling a bit sad and needs a little bit of xyz brilliant idea it's sort of like uh micro dosing nutrients in each uh each little package that you buy and to get that change is there like something that Governments should be doing to kickstart it all. I mean, is there one thing? Because it's there's loads of people manufacturing packaging, and there's lots of different people manufacturers experimenting with compostables and other other systems. Is there is there something that we should do to kickstart it? We've obviously got the plastics tax coming in next year, which is thirty percent recycled content. Should the government be doing something to kickstart a move to a um, sort of systems driven compostable system? Um, I think that these conversations are already happening and I think the, the evidence from recent consultations in the last few years is that the government is very aware and sensitive to the systems implications of compostable plastic use. Um, so I think there are elements of where new governance and regulation to do with EPR also cross over with incoming new regulation about food waste collection or mandatory food waste collection across the UK. So we have a bit of a kind of confluence and a crossover of some of these topics. But I think the, the government at the moment is carrying out their due diligence in the fact that they're actually trying to find out, well, what do we know about the overall system's impact of compostable plastics and their different types and their different disposal routes? Um, and is it safe to say that compostable plastics should be part of the future of the UK's packaging system? So at the moment, it's they're trying to figure this out. And so people and groups like our plastic waste group are trying to feed into that knowledge and trying to sort of help them make the best decision there. Yeah, and hopefully we'll get some progress because there's a huge opportunity when we bring in mandatory food waste collections to do that bit more. Um, there's also a risk that people start to put the wrong thing into the food waste. And I suppose that's the, that's the sort of policy side of things. What should listeners do differently or what should listeners do to help because everyone individually wants to 
do their bit also what should we go out and do tomorrow <laughs> we could all do lots we can all do lots of small changes which will have a big impact i think and in terms of just how people buy and use stuff how they buy packaging if there's any opportunity for people to kind of edit out the need for packaging in the first place and there are lots of interesting studies about reuse models so reusable cups reusable um lunchbox tins things like that 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 sort of behavior is going to help drive down the need for excess or um, non unnecessary packaging. And that's got to be a good thing to try and stem the, the kind of quantity of the, the stuff that we're producing in the first place. And then I think also that uh, I think everyone eats food. Um, and I think everyone has to deal with food waste in some form or other. And that's one of the kind of easiest ways to sort of start contributing to reducing the UK's greenhouse gas emissions. So the simple act of collecting your food scraps, your veg peelings, your potato peel, uh, collecting it up and, and putting it into a, a food waste collection system. I know at the moment, not, not everyone has access to those things through their council. And this is what the government's hoping to change in a couple of years time. But there are some very interesting home composting practices that I've experimented with in my tiny flat. Uh, and so it is possible to engage with these things and not be entirely grossed out by flies and smells and sludge appearing at the bottom of your compost bin. So I'd recommend that if anyone is interested in actually engaging with food uh, processing, reprocessing and composting practices, you can look on your local authorities uh websites and there's usually some subsidized uh composting bin schemes so for people with gardens or people who just have flats who want to do it indoors so um i would say check it out i'm glad you said get composting as well for a moment there i thought you were going to not tell us to go and get composting but you have so that is good so if you had a eco product or gadget that you couldn't live without what would it be i think you might know what i'm going to say um so i i uh, <laughs> became a a vermicomposter, a wormery keeper, and I think that it's a very interesting process if you've never been involved with composting at all and perhaps you've been a bit grossed out by food waste. If you can take that kind of leap of faith and actually have a go in some way, some form, you learn so much about the world, the natural world, through composting practices. And I have to say, I think worms are amazing and <laughs> slightly obsessed with them as being this like future solution to lots of things. They're, they're incredibly important and we should respect them and, and all the other creatures that live in soil. So I'm not going to bang on about it too much, but I think, yeah, composting is, is the way forward. And... Any podcasts that you could uh, recommend to our listeners at the moment that you're listening to? Can I be rather shameless and actually just plug something that I'm working on? <laughs> yes, please. We <laughs> love like... that. Absolutely. Great. Thanks, Bruce. Um, yeah, so I'm, I, I was interested in trying to, to get some of these conversations with very interesting people around different sectors about materials and circular economies. And I just thought, what a great way of doing it through a podcast. So i trying my own my own version of a podcasting interview format thing and it's called design dissection and so if anyone's interested um, you can google that or you can find it on my website excellent that's what we love design dissection and just looking to the future danielle what's coming up that you're most excited about yeah i understand that first mile also does some we waste collection services and i don't mean we tiny do waste i mean yeah the waste electrical stuff 
Well, we're actually going to be launching an, another citizen science project this October called the Big Repair Project. So the focus, the focus of this is really to ask you and everyone and, and all the citizens across the UK, how do they feel about repair of home appliances and electronics? And this is a really important question when we're talking about the circular uh, system for metals, because most of your home appliances and electronics contain a whole range of amazing materials. So it could be metals, could be lots of precious metals, glass, plastic, um, all sorts. And currently there's the sort of huge problems with the amount of re-waste that we're creating in the UK. I think the UK is second behind Norway in terms of the, the world's worst re-waste creators. So we really have a lot of work to do as a country to try and improve how we use products um, and how we can keep them in use for longer in order to reduce their environmental impacts like carbon emissions. So yeah, so watch this space. Um, the bigrepairproject.org.uk, um, if anyone's interested, uh, we'll be starting that in October and it's open for everyone to take part. That's amazing. What a great timing with the uh, right to repair legislation coming out in the European Union. We'd love to get involved in that. Absolutely. We have our own repair workshop for waste electronics. So if we can help with that as well, it'd be brilliant. And finally, Danielle, we are nearly done. What would you put in the first mile planet saver hall of fame? Worms. Spot on. <laughs> yeah. But I'd probably give them something tasty to, to, to munch on as well. So maybe a bit of um, some veg peelings as well. So they're happy. Brilliant. Are there different types of worms? Are you going to give us a particular species of worm for the Hall of Fame? There are. I'm particularly fond of a red wriggler. <laughs> so a red wriggler. A red wriggler. Try say that really quickly many times. Um, they're, uh, they, they particularly love just piles of food waste uh, and they, they like hanging out in there and, and munching on stuff. That is brilliant. We, we've got some crazy things in the Hall of Fame. We're going to have to publish a, a little uh, blog on them. Danielle, it's been absolutely amazing, um, really interesting and important subject. And it's been you've been an amazing guest on Zero Five O. Time for one last plug. I know that your big compost website is amazing, packed full of really interesting information and you're really good the team at UCL are publishing all of your findings, um, super interesting, and you do regular webinars in terms of what's uh, happening. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plug your plug, but how do, how do our guests find you? Yep, the website's uh, www.bigcompostexperiment.org.uk. Uh, the other website I just mentioned is www.bigrepairproject.org.uk. And if you want some general information about the other work being carried out by the UCL Plastic Waste Hub, it's uh, plasticwastehub.org.uk. Perfect. That is where everything is. That's fantastic. And I'd highly recommend listeners finding out more. We've just scratched the surface today. But Danielle, it's been absolutely a uh, huge pleasure having you on the show. And thank you very much. Thanks, Bruce. I'm Bruce Bradley, and you've been listening to Zero Five O, where we meet incredible people creating solutions for a zero carbon world. Keep listening to all episodes on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Zero five zero.